This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So as far as our our bottling A2 milk, it really took off because people wanted to know where their product was coming from. They wanted to know their farmer. And some people just wanted to try something new to come back to dairy. So it really took off for us. Um, we had a lot of churches that bought um, half gallons to give out to drive through food pantries at that time. So that part was, was a, a really good crazy. One day, it started raining, and it didn't quit for four months. We've been through every kind of rain there is. Little bit of stinging rain and big old fat rain. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast in the middle of Hurricane Sally. You know, it's been raining the past two days and I was could not stop thinking about that clip from Forrest Gump. So, I mean, in all seriousness, I hope everybody stays safe during Hurricane Sally in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Florida, and Alabama, basically everywhere in the south where it's hitting. But... Anyway, despite all of that rain, despite all of that craziness, we have a great episode today on the Farm Traveler Podcast. Our guest today is Eileen Warburton from Pennsylvania. And so she is a dairy farmer, and she specifically has cows that, you know, produce regular milk, but also cows that produce a special milk that is getting more and more popular now, and that's called 2A milk. So Eileen is going to tell us what 2A milk is and how it differs from lactose-free milk and how it's actually, some people can't drink milk and it's not exactly a lactose allergy. Instead, they are allergic to a protein in the milk. A lot of cows just somehow naturally produce this 2A milk where they don't have that protein in their milk. And Eileen found it, thank goodness, because her son had this milk allergy and she was able to find those cows that had that trait where they didn't have the protein. So she's gonna tell us all about that whole experience how they do 2A milk and how they're trying to bring it to more and more consumers. 
and really some issues they're facing right now with COVID and the dairy industry. It's a great episode. This is episode 74. I really hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. All right. Well, Eileen, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing? I'm great today. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm I'm excited to talk with you. We were just talking how, you know, you're a dairy farmer and you you have this super popular milk now, 2A milk. But before we get into that, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your dairy farm and kind of how you got started doing it. So our farm is located in the beautiful hills of Sullivan County, Pennsylvania, on top of a hill where the wind always blows. Um, and we milk about 64 uh, cows. We rotational graze our animals. Uh, they only get grain when they're being milked. And we're dominantly jerseys. We do have a couple fun ones thrown in there, some linebacks, some Dutch belts. Um, so that's our farm's background. And uh, this is my husband's family's farm that I um, help manage. And as far as the start of the 2A milk, um, our youngest, Marshall, who's now five, was very allergic to regular milk when he was born. Um, he was hospitalized for intestinal bleeding from it. So when he was getting to the point where, you know, formula wasn't an option anymore, I started doing some research because I hated being that mom buying almond juice and hiding it amongst other milk because I didn't want anybody to see me buying it as a dairy farmer's daughter. And, um, so we, we, uh, learned a little bit more about the, um, 2A milk and started testing some of our cows. I tested 14 of them and 10 of them were A2A2. So, and what that means is it's a genetic test. You take some hair. We do um, tail hair samples for ours. You can also notch their ears, but I do tail hairs. And um, they send it away, and it can come back that they're A2A2 genes or that they're A1A2 gene, which means like the next generation of your bred to an A2 bull could could um, bring you another A2 animal for your farm. Um, so once we learned how many and who they were, we milked uh, one of them in a separate pail and tried it with Marshall and found that it didn't cause him any intestinal issues. So that was a pretty exciting um, time for our family. And that went on for about a year where we milked a cow separate for Marshall. And then my father-in-law and I were talking one day and he said, you know, to make a small farm stay successful in today's society, you have to look outside of the normal box. And at that time, I took that and ran with it, and uh, we tore down a silo and added on a bottling room that's uh, 25 by 35. Um, it has three rooms, my office, the bottling room, and a separate room for the tank. And um, now we're up to 28 of our cows. We keep testing them, and we have a lot of heifers. Majority of our heifers are A2 coming up through. Um, so that's you know where we went with that, making our farm something that's gonna still be here for the boys, hopefully. Um, ice cream and butter are next on the agenda. And um, we are now in 10 stores locally that we deliver to. And uh, starting this Wednesday, we're with Delivery Fresh, where they actually pick up the milk here and deliver it to people's homes. So we're pretty excited about um, the opportunity in the future for, for our farm and for other people getting them to come back and enjoy, enjoy dairy that had intestinal issues or other things that scared them away from drinking your typical milk. Um, just getting them back to realize that milk is the best um, beverage, the most natural and healthiest for them. So. Oh yeah, exactly. Your story is so unique because I mean, it was a necessity. Like you guys wanted to find something for your son so that he could, you know, drink milk and not have those side effects or anything. And so that that's huge for you guys. It seems like. Yeah. It's so more than, a, you know, some people do different things for their farms to make more money and not that we don't want to make more money for our boys, but 
at the end of the day, it makes you feel good when you hear other people's stories and their, their um, experience of, with their first time they try our milk. They're like, it's so creamy and it reminds me of my childhood days or, you know, for once I could drink it and wasn't sick. And just all those things just make it the long days worth it. Oh, no, I can imagine. So what exactly is in that 2A milk that makes it healthier or not healthier, but kind of where it doesn't upset those people? I mean, is it something kind of like a lactose, like lactate milk? I'm lactose intolerant. And so I found that um, the there's some milk, a, a couple of brands of milk out there that I can drink that are fine. So what exactly is it in that 2A milk that makes it better for those people to drink without any sort of side effects? So um, the A2 milk, the cows that carry the A2A2 gene, they um, have a beta casing, the protein known as, they don't have the beta casing protein known as A1. So they're not a carrier of the A1 gene, which is the protein that so many Americans and people all over the world are allergic to. And that, like I said, that's the protein. So when people say they're lactose intolerant, that's the sugar. They're allergic to the sugar in the milk. Marshall's allergic to the protein in the milk. And what I'm finding, um, I've been doing a lot of farmer's markets lately, and a lot of people say, oh, I'm lactose intolerant. And I'll offer them a pint of our white milk to take home and try in the privacy of their own home. And I say that because no one wants to be embarrassed with a stomach ache out in public. And um, so I give it to them. And it's been amazing the feedback that I've gotten that, you know, people are like, apparently it's not even lactose. It was this all along. This is the best. And so, um, but it's just a different makeup for those cows. And there's nothing, they look just like every other cow. It's just like a human being. You know, the Punnett Square that you studied when you were in, in uh, like eighth, ninth grade that you thought you'd never use again. My 15-year-old makes it quite often with that, looking to see where his genetic genes are going to be for his next generation of his cows. So it's kind of like the blue eye, brown eye. Will my kid have blue eyes, brown eyes? Will my cow have an A2A2 carrier or A1A2 carrier? So that's that's about the protein. So I hope okay. that-, <laughs> that, that makes much more sense. I mean, I've always wondered like kind of how that breaks down, but it makes much, it makes sense that some people are allergic to the sugar and some people are allergic to the protein. I mean, I'd assume that, is there anything on the market right now for anybody, you know, besides almond milk that is allergic to the protein and to the sugar? Um, not that I know of. No. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So, I mean, you kind of highlighted earlier. I love to ask dairy farmers this. What are your thoughts on different forms of milk, like almond milk or pea milk or all that random stuff? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Trevor, those are not milk. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They are juices. Um, I've, I've yet to see a milker system that can milk the nuts, you know, off of an almond tree. But um, yeah, I, I struggle with that one a lot. You know, I was a former dairy princess for Pennsylvania and for, our, our, for Bradford County. And when they first started coming up with these other alternative beverages and calling them milk, that's kind of a big slap in the face to a dairy farmer who, um, you know, is around the clock farming for their cows and, and for the for beverages for for the consumer and, and their best interest. So I, I do struggle with that name a lot, um, you know, and, and being a mom who had to buy that for a son for a while, you know, you you do what's best for your children. Um, I started doing a lot of research on it and the sprays that are used on the almond trees and different things. And that was an eye opener to me, you know, like what are we putting in our, our bodies? What's still on that product when it's processed to go to our bodies? You know, it's, and that's even big to us on our farm. You know, like I said, we rotational graze. We don't spray our fields. Um, we use chicken manure, organic chicken manure on our fields. Um, so like just trying to do the best you can for the consumer and, and bring them back to real milk. And the one thing that I have found for myself and I've heard other people say also is, when you start drinking um, A2 milk, it's exciting to finally have a, a milk in your refrigerator that the whole family can enjoy. And that's what they're saying about our milk is, you know, 
there's families that had two, three different kinds of milk in the refrigerator. And now they just have our jug of milk. So it's pretty excited to have a beverage the whole family can enjoy again. Gotcha. That's a very good point. I mean, it tastes like normal milk, but it also doesn't have that protein. So if right. somebody does have an allergy, you can drink it and everybody else can. So it's not like you're having to buy multiple products or multiple gallons of milk. So that's really good. Yeah. So I know that there's a lot of misconceptions out there when it comes to dairy. It seems like it seems like really dairy is the one where a lot of like animal rights groups and a lot of activists kind of attack the industry and just get a lot of false information out there. So what are what are the biggest mis- misconceptions that you see that consumers have about milk and milk production? I know there's a lot out there. So what are kind of the top three that you kind of see? Um, my top one for me is childhood obesity. Um, you know, so many people feel that that because of the fats, the natural fats that are in dairy, that that brings out childhood obesity. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I was used to be a teacher and I see these kids go home from school and plop in front of a TV. And, you know, they've already sat in a chair at school all day. There's very little exercise and movement. Um, I really don't believe that dairy is the cause of childhood obesity. I, I believe that if anything, those kids need whole milk for brain development and, um, and bone structure if that child at that age is so impressionable. So my, my biggest is childhood obesity. Also, I think, um, one of the misconceptions is animal care. You know, media can be a farmer's friend and it can also be your worst enemy. And several months ago, there was a video put out on um, media, social media, and I, I would not watch it because I didn't want to give any more publicity to it. Um, of Some people that I possibly were set up to abuse an animal. And I, I really think that that is a very small portion of a dairy farmer. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is hurt your animal your animal is your livelihood. They're your income. So if you hurt your animal, what are you doing to your future? Um, the animals on our farm, I, I think when people come here, they probably think we're crazy because half of them are like little princesses. They're jerseys and they're nosy and they got to see what you're doing at all times and always wanted petting and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think animal care is definitely is a big part of a misconception for people. Um, you know, we give our animals vaccinations just like you may choose or not choose to do for your child. Um, it's a dairy farmer's opinion if they want to vaccinate or not vaccinate their herd. Um, but diseases can travel to cows from birds through the sky. You can't control that as a farmer, just like diseases can travel to our children. Um, and we can't always control that as a parent. So those are some things that I think are, are misconceptions, um, of how people see milk and in the process of it. Gotcha. Yeah, no, those are, those are good misconceptions there. I mean, I see a lot. And one of the biggest ones I see is people, they'll look at a dairy cow and they'll notice it's kind of bony in the back. And they're like, oh, well, they're not feeding these cows. Those cows are malnourished. Well, no, dairy cows, most of their weight's going to be on their udder. Is that correct? Yep. Like, I mean, they, I mean, and of course, to produce milk, you've got to be eating effectively. They've got to have a great diet. So they are eating a lot. It's just that most of their weight is going to be at their udder. Yeah. My 15-year-old Blaine, he shows cows. Um, we travel with his super special girls um, around Pennsylvania area, New York, Kentucky, that kind of stuff. And people that don't understand dairy cows would think that they're very ribby. That's a word you hear a lot. But when you're in the show world and in the producing world, you know, you need to have a little rib on there. If you get a dairy cow too fat, which fat you want to think of as a beef cow, you know, you want your steak to be extra juicy. You don't want it to be, you know, lean and, um, and not flavorful. So a dairy cow is a little bit more ribby. Um, their, their weight definitely should be in their udder. That's where they're producing. They don't want them to be fat. 
And when a, when a dairy cow becomes too fat, too obese, it makes it very difficult for the next generation for them to breed and to carry on with, with being a healthy cow. You know, that weight, just like humans, it makes it harder for us to get up and down. Too much weight on a dairy cow is going to make it harder for them to get up and down also. So, and a beef cow and a dairy cow are just two different builds and uh, characters of an animal. That's a very good point. Yeah. Beef cattle and dairy cattle are two completely different things. That's a very good point. Um, all right. So moving on this. So this season, we're on season two of the podcast. So we're trying to learn more about organic versus conventional um, agriculture. And so I know that there's a lot of milk out there that's organic that says it. There's um, normal milk that doesn't say it at all. What are your thoughts? Like, can milk be organic or conventional? Or do you think there can be a happy place for both? I, I think there can be a happy place. Um, we looked at going organic several years ago, and there's a lot of things that I think the population, the general population does not understand for organic. Um, my drawback from organic is, as you've already heard me say, I love our cows. You know, some of these are Blaine show cows, and they're just like our kids. So when your child is sick, you're going to take them to the doctors eventually. You know, you might try your own home remedies at first, and at the end of the day, if they have an ear infection, you can't cure it. You know you need penicillin or whatever it is. That's the same with our cows. And if you're an organic farmer and your cow gets sick and you treat them with any antibiotics, you then have to sell them. You can't keep them on your farm. So when you have that relationship and that bond with these cows, the last thing you want to do is have to sell them because you saved their, you chose to save their life. Um, so that's where I have to draw my line with organic. I, I feel there's nothing wrong with organic. I think it's a great thing. Um, but at the end of the day, I just really love my cows. I love the relationship that my boys have with our cows. And I want to save their life if should need, need be. Um, we always try natural first. You know, if um, I use a lot of Utter Comfort, which is a brand of kind of like a human's um, biofreeze type thing. You know, if they have a pulled muscle or swollen somewhere, I'll try that first, see what I can do for them. You know, go natural first. Um, but, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, I want to save my cow. And our cows are mostly grass-fed. Um, like I said, they only get grain when they're eating, so they get very small amount of grain. It could be GMO. It's whatever comes in on the truck. We do purchase that. Um, but conventional, I, I think that when a farmer's doing things right, you know, they're, they're signing contracts, so they're not giving their cows anything extra um, to make them produce. I think that that's, that's a, a positive also. So I, I think it's really just a family's preference, um, but I don't think one is better than the other. There you go. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, there's a place for both. And just because one says organic doesn't mean it, the other one is not natural and not good. So right. that's, that's a very good point. Um, Nothing's done to alter that conventional milk. You know, the farmer has done nothing. And every farmer, be if you're organic or conventional, you're, you're tested, you know, your milk is tested, the milk truck tested, it's tested so many times by the time it gets to the consumer, the farmer itself, you know, we have inspections, the, um, the milk inspector comes in and checks everything, makes sure everything's always clean. And there's just a lot of follow through with it. So it's, it's probably more inspected than a lot of your, your other places of foods you, you eat, you know, like really when it comes down to it. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've seen so many stories on Facebook. I mean, I'm, I'm on a couple of agriculture and dairy farming Facebook groups and yeah. there's so many stories where once, you know, once they collect the milk, they'll put it in a big tank and then that tank is tested. Well, if it has like a, a microscopic amount of anything bad in it, they have to dump the entire tank. And so, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's tested right after it's collected, right before it's picked up, right before it's processed. I mean, it goes through so many checks and balances that you're totally going to be fine by the time you get it. Even um, the milk on our farm that I bottle, like we still have a milk truck 
um, that comes and picks up the majority of our milk. I only take a small portion of it for my bottling, but every batch I have to test. And um, just the machine itself to test the milk is around $8,000. And then the machine itself tests for six or seven type forms of antibiotics, which I don't even know very many, that many antibiotics to list myself, you know, but um, it does. It's, I've tested a cow or two that have just freshened and had some treatment in them just to see how sensitive it is. And it's very sensitive. It picks it right up and throws it back at you and tells you dump it, you know, like, so it's pretty sensitive machines that they have. Oh, wow. No, I can imagine. I mean, all that to make sure the consumer gets a good product and you guys right. get, I mean, are producing a great quality product. So that's great. Um, so I know the dairy industry was kind of struggling a few months ago and then COVID happened and then kind of the struggle has been going on. So, I mean, how have you guys been impacted? I mean, COVID slowing things down. I know a few months ago there was this huge thing where milk wasn't being collected and it was being dumped. So how have you guys been impacted by COVID so far? Um, COVID's played two different roles for our dairy farm. Um, our, we got the green light from the USDA to start bottling April 22nd which was right in the middle of all that. So as far as our, our bottling A2 milk, it really took off because people wanted to know where their product was coming from. They wanted to know their farmer. And some people just wanted to try something new to come back to dairy. So it really took off for us. Um, we had a lot of churches that bought um, half gallons to give out to drive through food pantries at that time. So that part was, was a, a really good crazy. Um, but as far as the milk that we sent to the co-op, um, that was a little hard to swallow. Um, when all your different neighbors, we were fortunate we never had to dump any, but other neighborhood farmers did have to dump. And then the cost of that, so the co-op that we're with, the farmer that had a dump still got paid for their milk. But, you know, that money has to come from somewhere and it doesn't come from the consumer. They don't raise the price of milk to the consumer. It comes from the farmer. So our milk checks across the board for the co-ops were, were um, slapped pretty heavily with a deduction in your milk because it covered the cost of everyone that had a dump. Um, and like when people, they just don't understand because everybody was home, they think they're drinking more milk. But when you look at the amount of restaurants that were shut down, pizza shops, cheese is a huge benefit. You know, like when you order cheese, ask for an extra sprinkle or a dash, you know, because that cheese goes a long way. It takes a lot of milk to make cheese. And with all those places being shut down, that's where the, the trickling effects comes down to the farmer. Um, there was talk about stores having empty shelves and why are those shelves empty? Well, you know, a lot of times the kids were in school getting smaller things of milk um, and milk consumption wasn't to the great quality. Like people weren't coming in normally and buying three or four gallons those days. They'd come in throughout the couple weeks where people were trying to buy a lot at once. Um, so that's to me why store shelves got empty because someone can only make milk so fast when the other machines were made to make cheese and sour creams and yogurts and stuff. So um, it's a trickling effect, but it definitely was felt across the board. Um, sadly, a lot of small farmers and a lot of big farmers have closed up shops. And um, it's very scary for the future for what we as consumers will be drinking. You know, if, if this trickling effect continues to happen, what's going to happen to um, where your food's coming from? Yeah, no, th those are some very good points. I mean, do you think we're going to have more kind of small, smaller mom and pop dairies or just really farms in general kind of pop up across the country that are more local to each consumer? I, I do. Mean, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I really think you're going to. Um, when I first started bottling, I had a pretty small pasteurizer. And within the first week, I thought, this is crazy. Like my son or I had to be out here all the time. So we purchased a larger pasteurizer and had to wait for it to be built. And we had to wait two months. And when I picked it up 
they um, shared with me that they were three months behind on creating, on building because they build to order. And they were just um, overrun with orders right now, people wanting to start their own setups. So I, I do think it's going to be something um, that really takes off. And even just besides, you know, fluid milk for people to start bottling themselves, but, but um, other options, you know, like making sour cream, making, I met a family in Vermont that makes um, puddings and yogurts and they are so busy with it, you know, so it's, it's neat to see the smaller getting away from commercial operations. So going off of that, I mean, how hard is it for you guys to have a product like milk and then make it into something like a sour cream or a cheese? I mean, I know it's probably labor intensive, but like how much more um, equipment and time and labor do you need to make those different products? Um, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And it's all very expensive. <laughs> um, for me, I'm just looking at butter and ice cream for the next avenue, but um yeah, for yogurts and stuff, you know, you have to do all your cultures and that kind of thing. Same with sour cream. So you're looking at it at, at more time involved in those. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's not bad. Well, I mean, what do you get? Are you kind of focusing on the two-way milk? Are you kind of that can kind of blossom into a huge part of your farm and kind of do that as well as the traditional milk? Yeah, we, um, so for example, our A2 cows on our farm all wear beautiful green collars and that's how you can identify them um, to sort them because they all roam together. We don't make them be separated. And when it's time to milk, they're so nosy. Like I said, the jerseys are so nosy. I can walk to the gate and say, it's a two-week time. And they start coming to me because they're so trained. And they come in first. And um, I put them through and we milk those first. And they go into a separate tank for the bottling room. And then I just switch the line and let the rest of the herd in. Um, and then those ones milk. So it's, it's uh, they know what they're doing. <laughs> but I, I <laughs> yeah. do stick strictly to A2 for our bottling side just because that's our specialty milk. And my thing is, is I don't want to spend my time making a product that my son can't enjoy. You know, when you go to a, a local ice cream store and he can't have anything there, you know, we just don't go. And it's, I can't wait for next summer to um, provide our local ice cream shops with ice cream that more people can enjoy. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I'm sure he won't like, he'll eventually be saying, yeah, th this is my mom's milk and ice cream. So this is awesome. I can enjoy it and you all can enjoy it too. That's so cool. He calls it Marshall Milk. Marshall Milk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. That'd be a good little name for it, Marshall Milk, the two-way yeah. milk. So, so what do you think about the farmer-consumer relationship? I mean, I think it's getting a lot better. I think more and more consumers are kind of going to social media and they're kind of following farmers and ranchers to see what actually is going on in a farm. And I think it's improving it. So as a dairy farmer, how do you see that relationship right now? Um, I see it improving. Um, I think a lot of farms are making their own farm Facebook pages and things for people to follow and showing real life, real day operations. Like what does it take to make that bale of hay? Where is this, you know, what are the steps that you do to, before you milk a cow? Those kind of things, making it real life for people to really see and not be um, no misconceptions along that way. I also see other of my farmer friends doing things in the community. Um, one of them does a library program. Another one has built a milking cow and out of wood so the kids can see what it's like to really milk a cow and just the sky's the limit there what you can do in your communities um this year we're doing adopt a calf on our farm where a couple schools have adopted calves and helped name them and i send pictures and of what they're eating or what they're drinking or with one of my boys taking them out for a little walk and that kind of stuff so just getting you know from all ages to to learn more about the dairy industry and, and the steps that it takes to to bring you that delicious ice cold glass of milk 
That's awesome. Yeah. And you guys' Facebook page is pretty great. I mean, I checked it out. It's awesome. Um, and, and speaking of that, if people want to find you guys and follow you guys, where can they go to kind of see what you're up to? Um, our Facebook page is Sunset Ridge, and I think it's Dash Warburton Farm. Well, this is great, Eileen. It was so great to talk to you to learn more about 2A Milk. The next time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to try to look for some. I'm down here in Florida, so I'm pretty sure we have some. I'm going to have to double check at Publix. You do? Okay. Yep. Um, there, the company, the main company is out of Boulder, Colorado, um, that came from Australia and New Zealand originally. So, yeah, they've, they've come to the United States. So. Well, crikey, cool. I'll have to go check that out. Well, thanks for your time, Trevor. Hey, you're welcome. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on, and we'll have to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Mm -hmm.